it's not an exact science. You, there's a process you go through. You watch the radar, but uh, it's, you know, your expectations have to be kind of low. We're talking about when there's uh, a snowstorm that's coming over the weekend and should we have church or not. It doesn't help when people say it's going to be a snowclopolis. Uh, I had a former colleague call it chicken church, meaning what are other churches doing? We should see what other churches are doing and kind of take cues off them. But irregardless, if, if you have snow uh, on a weekend, you probably lower your expectations, like how many people are going to be there and attendance was low and all that kind of thing. So it comes as a little bit of a surprise that it was during a snowclopolis 173 years ago on the text that we're going to take a look at that a 15-year-old, their life was changed. Uh, of course, being a snowstorm in this small England community, the preacher, the Methodist preacher didn't show, show up. Well, duh. And a poor person did. He was a, um, a shoemaker. And the 15-year-old later would say he didn't speak very well. In fact, he butchered words. And he just focused on one word from the text. Look unto me. Isaiah 45, verse 22. All you are saved to the ends of the earth. The 15-year-old went on to say he didn't pronounce the words right. But that didn't matter. He began thus. My dear friends, this is a very simple text. Look. Now that doesn't take a deal of effort. It isn't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just a look. The poor man said, the fill-in preacher, if you will, a man need not go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool and you can look. A, a one can not be worth much with worldly goods and look. Even a child can look. And this text, Isaiah 45, verse 22 says, look unto me. And then he said in an English accent, many of you are looking to yourselves. No use looking there. You will not find comfort looking to yourselves. Then the good man followed up in this text, look unto me. Look unto me. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I'm hanging on the cross. Look, I'm dead and buried. Look unto me and rise again. Look unto me. I ascend. I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, look to me. Look to me. And with that, talked for 10 minutes. Then he looked at me. There were so few present that he knew I was a stranger. He said, young man, you look miserable. Well, I did. I had not been accustomed to comments made on my personal appearance from the pulpit before, but it was a good blow. And then he continued, you will always be miserable if you look to yourself. Miserable in life, miserable in death, but if you do not obey my text, but if you obey now, your life will be saved. And then he said, young man, look to Christ. And it was that text, it was that Snoclopolis, it was that ungifted preacher and his preaching that Charles Spurgeon came to Christ. So our, our text this morning, our, the, the theme of this message is entitled, The Gospel of Isaiah is entitled, Look at the Redeemer. And once again, in God's infinite mercy and his patience, he repeats a theme again and again and again that he goes to great lengths for those of us who doubt. Oh, but God. Oh, but God. So the key idea in this message will be to look at the Redeemer. 
to look at his hand in history, his agenda. What was the worst thing that ever happened in history? When I, when I heard that question this week, I thought, well, I immediately went to the Holocaust. And then the speaker said, isn't it when we killed God? Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So here's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to look at the holiness of God and his judgment, and he repeats this theme of redemption. The, the theme of redemption, the buying back on our behalf. Secondly, we'll see as we look at the Redeemer, we'll see how he redeems, and he uses someone quite out of the ordinary. And if we were first-time first hearers of this text that we're going to read, we'll, we would, it would be totally appropriate to say, what did Isaiah just say? Who is he going to use? And, and, and how is God going to use that person this way? Wow. And finally, we'll see the fact that God works Oh, but God works. When, when things are going one certain way, oh, but God. That might be the thing that you walk out of here with. I'm not sure what your situation is, but if there are three words I hope you take out of here is, oh, but God. Oh, but God. He always does that. He did that when Noah was living in horrible times in Genesis 8, but God remembered his promise. In Genesis chapter 15, Joseph went through Horrible situations. Oh, but God. God meant it for good. And then Acts chapter 13, Peter reminds us, you intended to kill the author of life. Oh, but God. God raised him from the dead. So, I invite you to find a copy of the scriptures. Um, there's a pew Bible that's in front of you. It's on page 624. I'll give you a chance to get there real quick. 625, actually. 625. We're going to go into 44, and we'll just read like five verses as we kind of get our heads around this idea of the Redeemer. And you'll see that it's entitled in the NIV. It says, Jerusalem to be inhabited. These were people that were in exile. And this comment, this proclamation, what Isaiah is going to say is prophesying something that's 150 years in the future. <laughs> uh, Persia at the time was not on the superpower radar. Babylon was. Cyrus wasn't even born. And now, the one that we had heard about before now he's named. So, 625. Got it there? Verse 24, reading in Jesus' name from God's living word. This is what the Lord says, your redeemer. Your redeemer. That's the lens. The redeemer who formed you in the womb, I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the why and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his, of his servants and fulfills the prediction of his messenger, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited of the towns of Judah. They shall be rebuilt and their ruins I will restore for them. Who says to the watery deep, 
be dry. And I will dry up your streams. Who saves us from Cyrus? He is my shepherd, and I will accomplish all that I have pleased. He will say to Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Wow. Let's look at the promise of the Redeemer. The promise of the Redeemer is this. And the, well, the key word is actually promise. And let me explain it this way. Redeemer means to exist or to act on behalf of someone else. Someone who is for you, not against you. Some of you of, someone who is with you, treating you like next of kin or like kin. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the love story of Boaz and Ruth in the book of Ruth. It's a beautiful love story. It talks about the Redeemer. It acts out the Redeemer. In fact, it's such a beautiful blood, uh, love story. It's included in the royal bloodline of Jesus. Ruth is, is, is in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. This idea of a Redeemer we, it was introduced in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 4. And it's paired with small little Israel. It was very common that when a country was taken over, you would lose their nationality. You would forget all about them. They wouldn't exist anymore. But God's promise is this. Israel, my people, you will even outlast Egypt. You will outlast Babylon you will outlast Persia, you will outlast Rome, and the new Israel, the bride of Christ, will last forever. Now, in this section, I really like this section, and as I studied this section, I went, this is so good. Uh, when I was in uh, fourth grade, I got called to the teacher's desk, and she uh, chewed me out because I wrote too long of sentences. I just used commas. Commas are free. Commas just connect. Can I get an amen? Does anyone like long sentences? Just, just, just say it. Paul does. It's all over in the New Testament. So this is what's really cool about this section that we just read. You ready? It is one long sentence. Yes! Wait, yeah! Why is that a big deal? Because there's nine participles, and they all lead to an action or a phrase, or a noun to build up who the Redeemer is. You know how, they're, you know how to mark, they're, they're marked? They're really nice. I mean, the people who translated the NIV did a great job for it. Look back. It's all the who's. The who's connect. Who is the who? Well, the, the who is the one who stretches. The who is the one who spreads out. The who is the one who foils. The who is the one who overthrows. The who is the one who carries. The who is the one who says. The who is the one who says to the watery deep. The who is the one who says, Cyrus. 150 years before he was ever on the throne. One more sign that we serve a redeemer like no other. Wow. You will not be forgotten. You are not left alone. You or his people back then, even though they were a remnant, even though it was very common to forget people who had been held captive. That was common. 
But God says, no, that's not for my people. I have chosen you. I have chosen you. Now, we're going to illustrate this in, in, uh, in a couple weeks. When we get into, in about mid-November, we'll look at Isaiah 63, the ultimate vengeance and redemption. We confess this. We confess in the Apostles' Creed, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And we will be treated like we do not deserve with his grace and his mercy. What a redeemer we have. Oh, but God. Now, when um, listeners of that first letter, that the first time that they heard, uh, when listeners um, heard that, uh, it, w- it, would, it would have been very appropriate for them to say, what did God say about this deliverer? What, what kind of language did Isaiah say? I get the Lord saves, but he's going to use Cyrus as a shepherd? <laughs> He's going to use the word anointed for Cyrus. The Old Testament is written in the book of Hebrew. The Old Testament has been translated into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And the word that the Septuagint uses for anointed is Christus. What does that sound like? Christ. How did that go over with first people hearing that? First listeners hearing that? Didn't go over so good. They weren't as enthusiastic as Isaiah was. Let's read, let's pick up our text again. I'm going to read now um, Isaiah 45 through the end of the chapter. This is what the Lord says. Let's go back, verse 28. Who says of Cyrus... He is my shepherd, and I will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. This is what the Lord says to his anointed. That's the word Christus in the Septuagint. He calls Cyrus a Christus. Why is that a big deal? That kind of language was only used for the sacred priests for the Levites, for those that have been set aside for God's work. Now Isaiah is using words like shepherd and like anointed Christos, Messiah. That's what he's saying. This is what the Lord said to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I took hold of, to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you did not acknowledge me. 
I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know that there is none beside me. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. You heavens above, rain down my righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let the salvation spring up. Let righteousness flourish with it. I, the Lord, have created you. Woe. Woe to those who quarrel with their maker. Those who are nothing but potsherds. Among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say, the potter has no hands? Woe to the one who says to the father, what have you begotten? Or to the mother, what have you brought to birth? This is what the Lord says. The Holy One of Israel and its maker concerning things to come. Do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind on it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry host. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. I will rebuild my city and set my exiles free, but not for a price or reward, says the Lord Almighty. This is what the Lord says. The products of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and those tall Sabins, they'll come over to you and will be yours. They will trudge behind you and come over to you in chains. They will bow down before you and plead with you saying, surely God is with you you and there is no other there is no other god that's a great verse they will bow down before you and plead with you saying surely god is with you and there is no other there is no other god truly truly you are a god who's been hiding himself the god and savior of israel all the makers of idols will be put to shame and disgrace they will go off into disgrace together but israel but israel will be saved by the lord with everlasting salvation. You will never be put to shame or disgraced to ages everlasting. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned it and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in the land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. So gather together and come. Assemble, you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot be saved. Declare what is to be present. Present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distance past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God apart from me. A righteous God and Savior, there is none but me. Turn to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other, but I myself have sworn. My mouth is uttered in all integrity, a word that will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. They will say of me and the Lord alone our deliverance and strength. All who have raged against me will come to me and be put to shame. 
with all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in him. After we read this passage of scripture, we have to take a look. If there was the promise of a redeemer, now let's look at the agent of the redeemer. Well, I mentioned his name was Cyrus. He got asked the question, who is this guy anyways? He was the most famous warlord of the 6th century B.C. He, he overtook the one who was over him and quickly, quickly went through Mesopotamia and took over Babylon in 539. He was brutal. And the Bible says, the Bible calls him a shepherd. <laughs> a Bible calls him anointed. How does that work? You can go to Ezra chapter 1, verse 3 through 6, and you'll read the fact that, indeed, uh, God used him to finance the building of the temple and the releasing of God's people. He did that. He also did that for all the other inhabited people that he took over. If there was a God of your country, he wanted that God's blessing as well, too. That was his political administration, foreign policy administration. He just would tax people, oversee people, and want their blessing. God used him? God used him like that? What's the point, Pastor? The point is this. Behind the curtain, our Father rules. Why do you say that? When you go through chapter 45, and I know I do this a lot, and one of the reasons is because it helps me understand the text, like what is there. Did you see all the first-person pronouns that were used? Do you see them repeatedly? There's 48 of them. There's 27 eyes and 21 me's, my's. Don't forget who's the me. Don't forget who's the me. In, in fact, later, it, it says what in verse, um, uh, the, the text that we read, it says, I have sworn by myself. I've sworn by myself. I, I said this a couple weeks ago. Um, when God makes an oath, who does he swear by? Uh, he, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, uh, verse 13, tells us that um, Hebrews 6.13 says this, Since there was no one greater to swear by when he was speaking about Abraham, God took an oath in his own name saying, saying, this is true. In other words, he takes an oath. When God takes an oath, he says, so help me me. So help me me. And all the me's agree. Me the Father, me the Son, me the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's true. He will fulfill his promises. And in verse 4, he reminds us that he has chosen us. And Jesus will later say in John chapter 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you may go and bear much fruit. Oh, but God, only God can do that. Now initially, when this hit the listeners of their day, and Isaiah was doing what Isaiah's name was. Isaiah's name means the Lord will save. 
And he as a prophet would speak for the Lord and speak what was coming. He is doing both. The people didn't initially receive that. The word woe used in verse 9 and verse 11 means to lament or to grieve. And you get this back and forth understanding. They weren't as enthusiastic like, oh, yeah, a foreign king is going to be our priest and Messiah, isn't it? They didn't say that. And God says, uses this analogy, does the pot talk to the potter? No. The Lord will save his people. Alex Moiter, who is an Irish expert on the book of Isaiah, and I've referred to this before, and if you're enjoying this series, boy, I would encourage you to purchase this called Isaiah by the Day, a daily devotional translation. He's been so helpful to me. He made this comment. He said, the Lord's fulfillment shows not only his faithfulness to his pledged word, I have chosen you, but his sovereign control and direction of the whole world and all its events until they reached his desired and appointed end. Jesus' birth in Bethlehem came about because Micah had predicted it, but it actually happened because Caesar Augustus made the appropriate decree at the appointed time. The word of God is in the Lord's hands to make it happen, and the rulers of the world are in the Lord's hands to accomplish what he has decreed. The cross of Jesus came about by the sovereign decree, but it actually happened through the hands of wicked men, Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, and Israel assembled in Jerusalem to do what they had purposed to do. Prediction and fulfillment call us to wait patiently on the faithfulness of God. Has he said and will he not do it? Numbers 23 and 19. This calls for restful confidence in the God who has the whole world the whole world in his hands. Look at the Redeemer. That's our promise. Our promise is he's not forgotten his word. He will walk through our lives as difficult as that is. In this case, he used an agent by the name of Cyrus that had to have people scratching their heads. And saying, what is God up to? What is God up to? And that leads us to our final point. Look at the ways of the Redeemer. Look at the evidence. Verse 14 is powerful. It says this, Surely God is with you, and there is no other. It reminds us of Romans chapter 11, verse 33, that says this, Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgment and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God for God shall repay them? Far from him and through him and for him are all things. To God be the glory. And verse 17 comes, Oh, but God. The Living Translation says this, but the Lord will save the people of Israel with eternal salvation. The situation for God's people back then, their circumstance, God used a foreign king. You might even say a wicked king to care for them, to bring them out of Israel, out of exile, back to their promised land. 
back to their temple. But the real hope, the hope and the need that we have is for a servant. And that suffering servant will come in chapter 53. We'll see in a couple weeks. He is the one who rescues us. And God is behind it. God is behind it. His hand is true. His hand is testified to. Uh, this last week, I was reminded of a friend who I've known for 30 years. He's one of our best pastors, I think, in our clergy roster. I've known him. I did my undergrad with him and my master's degree with him. His name is Pastor Harold and his wife, Joyce Rust. They're planting a church in Red Deer, Alberta. You may go, I've never heard of that before. Well, it's a lot like Eau Claire in this way. Uh, where he lives is between Calgary and Edmonton, connected to Highway 2. And similar to us, we're connected to Interstate 94 between Minneapolis and Madison and Milwaukee. And his town, Red Deer, is similar in size. It's a college community with a, uh, with a, uh, with a river running through it. Duh, they call it Red Deer. Uh, but he gave a testimony and a clarification of the people who he was reaching, some of whom have come from Ukraine all the way to Canada. And when they gave their testimony and when there was a translator that was translating how people had gone, come from Ukraine to Canada, they wanted to make sure that the translator got it really clear that it wasn't luck. It was God. So this is Pastor Harold's testimony. 90, 95% of newcomers, they say they've never been in a, an American or a Canadian home. We had the opportunity just a few weeks back to invite Ukrainian refugees to come over to our home. We gathered, we had some dessert, a couple from Ukraine who were believers. They shared their story of how they saw God at work in and through the whole process of getting to Canada. And it was great for them to share that because many of those who come from Ukraine aren't believers. And uh, it was really interesting. Here's a story. Uh, the, the, the couple that were Christians, they were sharing and saying, oh, we saw God at work. He opened this door. God opened this door. And one young girl who was translating for them into English, she would say, oh, it was, they saw good luck <laughs> as this door opened. They saw good luck as that opportunity came before them. And the, 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 the couple, they kept correcting her and saying, it was not good luck. It was God at work. And so that was a, a treasure. And just seeing people come and hear the good news of Jesus through these stories. And so that's a, a very basic element of hospitality that people can uh, join in for the gospel. What a great reminder. The text ends, the passage of scripture ends in, uh, for the last four verses with a summary statement. It would be appropriate to uh, entitle it, Therefore. Therefore. And it's a call to the nations. It's a call for those who come after those who receive this book. And you'll see that there's a universal call that's all tied to one person. All religions don't lead to God. God has a heart for all people. Missions happens because worship doesn't, John Piper has said. 
And it all comes through one person, the person of Jesus. The verb turn means you're going in the wrong direction. Call out to who the Father is. It sets the stage for the eventual drama, not just for the people coming back, but for the one that will invade our world. The nations of the world, the nations of the world, Egypt, Ethiopia, the Sabians, will seek citizenship and partnership in the everlasting salvation. And what is absolutely beautiful is, when I repeated verse 14, notice what verse 14 says, all of these wealthy, all of the wealth will come not sure how to interpret that. But this is pretty clear. They will bow down before you and say, surely God is with you. And there is no other. There is no other God. How can people see that? How can people see that, that we're different? The Holy Spirit fills God's people. The Holy Spirit fills God's people. He fills you and me. And he changes us and transforms us Yes, the invitation to salvation is a free gift. There's no way you can earn it. One of the ways that has helped me understand that is Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. There's a difference there, right? The book of Ephesians, you may say, well, that's, that's kind of nice, but where do you get that? The book of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 through five says this, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but God. Oh, but God. Oh, but God, because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. And so you come to this person named Jesus. Uh, this is a different way of looking what C.S. Lewis has said, Lord liar, Lord, liar, or lunatic. And notice at the very top, it says, Jesus says, I am God. It would be correct to say he never used those words, but he totally meant that. In John chapter 8, the reference that's there, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. They wanted to stone him. And then in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. They wanted to stone him. Why did they want to stone him? Because of Leviticus chapter 24, 16. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. They had every right to do that. The entire assembly must stone them, whether foreign or native, when they blaspheme the name, they are to be put to death. They heard what he was saying. He didn't use those words, but he used those words. Do you see? So we come back to this. We come back to this idea, and if you follow the chart, it says if it's true, then Jesus is Lord. If it's false and Jesus was insincere, then he's a liar. And if it's false and he's sincere, then he's a crazy man. The one who wrote this was C.S. Lewis. He said this, if Christianity is false, 
If it is no important, it's no importance. But if it's true, if Jesus is who he said it is, it's infinitely important. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Do you get it? If it's true, it affects everything in our life. Values, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, what our future is, what our hope is. What we invest in with our time talents, it affects everything if it's true. And someone who predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, you probably want to listen to that person. Amen? If you've never trusted Christ, if you have just said, you know what, religion is great, I get it, it's important, I would respectfully challenge you with these words, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. There will come a day when we will stand in front of the king and give an account of our lives and what we will do with Christ. Have you bowed your knee to him? If you haven't, you can today. If you want to make a step, a little bit step closer, there are some books at the Welcome Center. The Gospel of John, it's available for you free of charge. You can take it, and I would simply encourage you to say, read it. Read it and ask the question, who is this man? Who is this man? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for um, using a guy like Cyrus. You have your hand behind all of history. None of it is a surprise. You hold the world's kings in your hands. And because of your sovereignty, that is the pillow that we can sleep on tonight, knowing that you are the one who rules and reigns. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this living word. Thank you for speaking to us. And Lord, I pray that my friends who hear this message would say, oh, but God. Oh, but God. He is the one who rescues and redeems. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.